0: Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, over the past few weeks, we seem to have gone a very, very far distance in a very short space of time. From the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, right through to statues being toppled and TV shows cancelled. No wonder many people seem extremely bewildered and, indeed, angry. And, indeed, there seems to have been absolutely no pushback from any quarter. So, what exactly is going on? With me to discuss this, I'm very pleased to say we have Claire Fox, who is a Director of the Academy of Ideas, and, of course, a former uh, Brexit Party MEP. Uh, Emma Webb from the Civitas Think Tank, and the New Culture Forum's Rafe Heidelmanku, historian and commentator. Um, I want to start with you, if I may, Emma. Um, On my way here today, as we've seen in all the pictures, the statue of Winston Churchill was completely boarded over. Um, What are your sort of feelings when you see that?
1: I think it's a symbol of extraordinary failure. Um, the fact that the police have shown themselves to be incapable of defending our monuments. I was actually there when they defaced the statue on Sunday and stood next to the police whilst they sort of haplessly looked on uh, while people were chanting awful, vulgar things and uh, spray painting churches of racist on the statue. And as well, I think in the end, they'd also, um, the Antifa uh, symbol had also been spray painted on the side of it. I think what it shows is that not only the police, I think the police officers themselves, so many of them were injured, that they've actually been failed by the leadership by Crest Dick. And also by the statement that Neil Basu put out as well um, over the last couple of days. And, and just generally, the leadership from the government has been so weak but now we have um, no talk of the influence of the far left hijacking these protests but the people who are actually coming out to protect our monuments are being described by the Mayor of London as being far right when it, all he has done is legitimise the iconoclasm and the uh, criminal damage that's been taking place uh, not just on monuments that are connected to, to slavery but ro- people like Robert Peel who founded the police force um, and actually responsible for us having community policing and disarmed police.
0: Um, yes. So
1: I think it's it's outrageous and a lot of people are going to be very,
2: very angry to see that. Uh,
0: okay. do you see a sense of failure there
2: too, like Emma? Well, I mean, it does appear to have um, given what the people who want the statues removed, given them what they want because you now can't see them. I mean, you know, covering up, pulling them down and so on. I think that Emma's right, although I I, I actually think that the police themselves, I mean, leadership, you might say, but nonetheless, there has been a a, a fair degree of uh, collusion and agreement by senior police chiefs about uh, standing by and letting this happen, as we saw from the interview with uh, the uh, the head of Somerset and Avon Police, Essex Police have come out and, and so on, which is that there is a sense in which they believe that there's something righteous about what's happening on these demonstrations. I don't think it's even that they're fearful. I mean, if they are fearful, that's problematic. But, you know, sometimes it's presented as though it's the yobbery of the protesters. Whereas actually, I do think that if you abdicate responsibility and let people, I mean, almost in a way, it's like a kind of incitement, you know, if you kind of stand back and say, well, you know, what can we do? then it actually encourages people potentially to do things that they wouldn't have done. I mean, it's got a kind of endorsement aside to it. Mm. And I think that we've generally seen, as Peter, you indicated in your introduction, that this is not about, you know, this is kicking an open door. So many institutions from the top Mm. have been prepared to metaphorically take the knee. And this has become far removed from what was a completely legitimate and genuine outrage at the brutal police killing of a black man in America, and then people wanting to show solidarity, maybe saying that there are uh, issues of racism in the UK they want to do, take on, but 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 at this point we've we've almost become far so far removed from that that it does a great disservice to anti-racism that this is the censorious outcome with an institutional leadership that's, you know, on its knees, sadly. Um, yes, R- Rafe,
0: uh, Emma uh, alluded there to Neil Basu and what he said. I mean, are you familiar with what, what uh, when he came out and basically said, you know, that we're institutionally racist? Uh, this, this was, he used in the Met Police account, actually, to, to make this uh, announcement. And, um, you know, it was, I think, quite extraordinary coming from a, a chief uh, of, of police. Um, would you, you're obviously very uh, involved in statues actually in a way, aren't you, and commemoration. Um, you know, do you sort of see this as a cultural assault?
3: That's exactly what it is. And far from having a state that's institutionally racist, what we have is a situation where you have an institutional acquiescence mm-hmm. in that cultural onslaught. And uh, that can't be stressed too highly enough. Now. I've been a member of the International Churchill Society since the age of 14 and served on its board of directors, so for me, Churchill, someone who's of Polish and Sikh Indian ancestry, <laughs> Churchill has always been a great inspiration to me yeah. and I've, I've, I've had no qualms at all coming to terms with what were v- views held by any contemporary Victorian uh, of, that, of that era. But uh, more or less, what we're basically seeing from the police are statements that Britain is a racist country when we know full well from, from every global survey that's been done on t- in terms of racial tolerance, in terms of who the average person would have living next to them, Britain and those former British uh, colonies, Canada, Australia and New Zealand, are among the least racist countries in the world, far more tolerant than you'll see on the continent of Europe, for example, along with Latin America, another racially diverse region of the world. Those are the two most racially tolerant parts of the planet, and yet, and here we are, mm. l- trying, to be, trying to be sold this line that we are living in, in, a, in, in a racist country, which simply holds n- n- no, no water whatsoever. But what we are seeing really is an attempt to supplant British identity and British culture. We've gone from the general erosion of British identity through the long of institutions to this direct onslaught. And you know, I've seen this before, you know, my own family, the, the oldest civic statue in, in Lviv, in the former Poland, now Ukraine, was of my ancestor, who commanded the cavalry mm. at the siege of Vienna and stopped the Turks advancing at the gates of Vienna in, into Europe. That was demolished by the Soviets in 1945. Why? Because they wanted to supplant the existing culture with a new ideology. Mm. And we're seeing something that's not dissimilar now.
0: Mm. Uh, th- this is the point, really, isn't it, Claire and Emma, I mean, that... As Rave just said there, uh, if you see it or if you think it is a cultural onslaught, which I think, for me, it seemed undoubtedly that it is, um, it is the speed which I think has bewildered people. Um, I don't know. Can you comment on that, Emma? I mean, it seems that suddenly here we are at a time where, for example, HBO are pulling this programme, you know, uh, the BBC are pulling that one. OK, it's statues now, but, I mean, you know, how... you know this is this is extraordinary how do you think it has been the case why has it been the case that it has been so quick
1: um that what um rafe is describing there what we're definitely seeing is a sort of authoritarian cultural revolutionary impulse that wants to um it it does it, it isn't intended to um, particularly target um, necessarily racists or slave owners. The statue of Robert the Bruce was, was graffitied and he, he died in the 1300s. Um, oh. So I think that what we're actually seeing, and, and this goes back to the, the point about the police and Neil Basu and, and the sort of institutional um, licensing of what's happening is that in, in local authorities, not all of them, um, and it, within certain institutions and um, certain positions of people who are in positions of authority, there is an, a, a, an assumed neutrality about something that is very, very ideological. Um, and the, the assumption is of this kind of imagined consensus, even though there are quite clearly lots of people who are against this and are opposed to and feel very angry and very helpless to see their heritage being attacked in this way. And I think the, the speed of it is definitely something that is clearly very worrying. Um, and people will have a lot of questions about how it was possible for the Mayor of London to turn around this Orwellianly named um, uh, commission in such a short period of time. Um, I think that it's partly because the the path had already been laid, in a sense, because the the institutions had already absorbed and accepted this idea of systemic racism, which is a very different idea to um, discrete acts of racism. It's not part of the civil rights tradition. It's very different from the sort of things that people march for with Martin Luther King. In systemic racism, the ideologues um, and, and academics behind Um, The literature that has influenced this movement, people like Robin DiAngelo, believe that every aspect of our society, our history, our culture, um, and every white person in the West is complicit in systemic racism. So there is literally nothing that is off the table when it comes to the sorts of things that they might try to attack next. The the remit will just get larger and larger and larger. And it started with statues connected with slavery. We've already seen it moving into other areas of cultural life, like television programs, even Anton Deck have been done in by this. Um, So I think that the the issue is that there is, it's it's assumed that this um, very ideological movement is actually, and it, they, and it is very much enthused with ideas that we should be able to disagree with, but it, it's become very, very high cost to stand out against them because people don't want to be seen as pro-slavery, even if they're defending the statues sort of on principle.
0: Um, yeah, Claire, uh, if you talk about ideology, I think this is one of the, uh, at the moment, uh, you know, there is the slogan, isn't there, Black Lives Matter? But there is also the organisation, Black Lives Matter. And I, I wonder how many people know what the aims of that organisation are. I mean, I think that, isn't it the case, do you think that people are sort of clamouring to support the slogan, but actually pretty ignorant maybe of what the
2: organisation says? Oh, well, that might be true, but I think that there's a danger here of overflattering the importance of the organisation with its uh, particularly, you know, as it happens, completely incoherent combination of revolutionary sounding slogans with kind of management woke speak. Uh, if you kind of read it, it's kind of got all the kind of diversity buzzwords and then, you know, occasionally you'll say abolish the police, you know, let's have a revolution. It's a kind of very odd mix. Anyone who's ever been serious about revolutionary politics, which I have been, we'll know that this wouldn't pass muster at the, you know, first year uh, seminar, never mind anywhere else. But you see, what happens is, and I know that, um, uh, you know, there's a kind of trend to say these people, and, and in fact, it's just been said, you know, these people are kind of ideologically marching through the institutions, whereas I see this as an institutional collapse. You know, there is no reason why this particular institution, this particular organisation needs to have, uh, uh, these things have happened often preemptively. You know, uh, one demonstration in Bristol, which I think was pretty spontaneous and got out of hand, the police standing by and watching it and so on. Then, as has uh, uh, been indicated, you know, the next minute faulty Towers goes, you know, and it, the whole thing loses any sense of coherence. I think that's important because you have to know who you're going to, as it were, aim your, your fire and ire at and know who you need to talk to, what, what the kind of discussion is. Because I, I, my, my greatest concern here is, is that we end up in a situation where we kind of appear to have, you know, a kind of imagined enemy of Black Lives Matter's organised ideologues on the streets versus, you know, Tommy Robinson's army of thugs on the other side uh, being called down to London to defend statues. Whereas, actually, uh, the, the speed with which this has happened is that it hasn't happened quickly so much as it's been happening slowly for the last 10, 12 years. You know, you had me on, Peter, to discuss my book, which is all about exactly these themes four years ago. And also, I I said then, you know, the students aren't the problem. It's the academics, it's the institutions that, that almost... Use the student activists, as, you know, to ventriloquise their th- their ideas. You know, something right. is rotten at the heart there. That's that's very worrying. So, I, I just think it's dangerous to over imagine because it ends up with a kind of conspiracy theory. And people will have read these. You know, that Black Lives Matters have got in their nooks and crannies. I mean, most of the angry young teenagers from Tottenham that were down at the demo on the first week. You know, Rand has bemused as anyone else, right? I mean, they what? I mean, they're not kind of schooled in this stuff. They're not. They're not familiar with the uh, uh, critical race theories that that kind of lie behind some of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. let, let's be cautious about where we kind of, as it were, uh, lay the blame. I think. I agree not, with that. Uh, I think actually-
3: Yep. and sorry. I was ge- sorry. Can yes.
0: Rave come in first? Sorry,
2: yep.
3: And I was, yes, and, I, and as I said in my earlier comment, we've gone from a from a gradual erosion mm. uh, over the years to now this full scale onslaught, and that's because you know the ground has been set f- yep. for this conflict, and uh, we've we've known for a long time about the balance that has been shifted in universities, where it went from a two to one balance of two liberals mm. for every conservative academic to one now where it's nine to ten mm. left far left compared to everyone conservative in the humanities mm. in, in, in in Britain and, and in Canada, for example, mm. uh, and the problem. There I think really quite clearly is that no one is actually coming to terms with the fact that <laughs> the next 10 years are really what counts because we have a crisis of age in this in this country where the divide is, is so much upon age grounds that there, if we don't take it in, in any steps at the current time to, to really address this issue we're going to see no end to this sort of iconoclasm in the future and there was this great hope that with Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson yeah. there'd be some effort to reverse the bias that exists within institutions in this country, uh, yet coronavirus came out of nowhere and seems to have, have sunk all chances of that ha- happening.
0: I think, uh, if I, it seems to me that uh, obviously the variety coronavirus has been pretty much sort of like wiped off the, uh, off the headlines for a while, um, there's no question about that, um, but I think that uh, what you were alluding to there, what you are alluding to there uh, about this softness, which of course you know, we've talked about on this program many times. There's been, if you like, a long march, I I would say. Um, If you look at the way that the media is treating this now, um, two aspects here. On the one hand, it seems, and I wonder whether you agree with me, that people are clambering on to sort of make a gesture because the price of not doing so is just too high now, right? And similarly, there are worrying things within the media. So for example, in America, you might have seen, Editors of newspapers, not least the New York Times, have actually been uh, forced to resign because they, you know, they let g- commission certain pieces as you should do with an opinion as an opinion editor. Um, but they've actually had to, you know, they've lose they've been censored or lose, lost their jobs. It seems that the media is is pretty much, you know, sort of as one on this. Would you not say? Would you not say, Emma? Emma,
1: I I agree completely. Firstly, with every. Thing that Claire just said, um, and I think, like you, you say, that the, I think the issue is that it, the 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 use of language and and the ideology that has a background in some of these particular academic circles has seeped into common use, in particular in in uh, institutions within the civil service, within the police, and like you're saying, in it, it, especially within the media, there is this sort of censorious streak. Um where it's and we saw the same thing um, with uh, a guy who worked for a radio channel, Manx radio channel, yeah. who also um, got fired for. And we've seen also Nigel Farage stepping down from um, his his show at LBC after he compared um, the what quite clearly is a, a fair comparison in terms of iconoclasm to the sorts of things you see in extremist movements, like in with the Taliban, Islamic State, the French Revolution, the Reformation. Um, these are just things that are quite typical of revolutions and cultural revolutions, especially, and, and activists themselves have used the term cultural revolution. So it doesn't seem that there should be a problem in referring to it as that. I think that it's, as Claire said, it's something that has been going on for a very, very long time. And actually, it may have just sort of erupted now, but the the groundwork had already been laid for it. Um, And so I think that the thing that really worries me is that it's not possible to actually have um, a proper, reasonable, honest conversation um, publicly um, on mainstream platforms about this, because the cost is, if people see people being fired um, for raising concerns, people who have used the hashtag all lives matter, being and ending up losing their careers over this, then people are going to feel that they can't speak out. And that's a very, very dangerous situation because it means that that what's happening right now could escalate very quickly. Um, And without sort of scaremongering, there is only a very small step from um, attacking physical objects with that much ire to actually becoming physically violent and having clashes between different communities and raising the tension um, between those communities. So I think that the this, this censorious yes. tendency in this is the thing that is really most worrying.
0: Um, yeah. Claire, can I just ask you, just, you know, on, on a more specific uh, point, um, how do you account for Boris Johnson's near total absence on this? I mean, today, this morning, just before we came on air, he did actually put a statement out by Twitter. But frankly... People are perplexed, utterly, that a Prime Minister who's always actually prided himself on his sweep of history, and indeed was a biographer, Churchill, as it happens, you know, has been almost entirely absent. You know, why is it that our politicians do not feel that they can speak out on what are obviously cultural issues? Because the French do.
2: So it's um, one thing, you, you, you mentioned the coronavirus issue having gone. But one of the things that I was going to say was that I actually think the lockdown partly explains the intensity and speed with which this has happened. Mm-hmm. Because I do think there was a kind of, you know, almost like a kind of cauldron of kind of pent up energy infrastructure, which a lot of us feel over a lot of things. And, and 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 this kind of became a lightning rod. You know, a very real, genuine, terrible thing happened. Then there's uh, demonstrations all over the place. And. And, you know, it's almost like sort of like, you know, all the kind of, you know, fears and frustrations and worries about, you know, mass unemployment and prospects being in decline and so on kind of exploded onto the public scene. So I think it's had an impact on that. But I also think, let's be honest, it's completely disorientated the government. They don't actually know how to relate to the public at the moment because they've sent us home and atomised us. There's no public square in a way. They don't really know who who they're talking to or how to talk to people because everything's become a bit distorted. You know, we're not even talking to each other. We've only just been allowed to visit each other's homes. You know, so we're all kind of very living our lives peculiarly via press conferences at five o'clock and social media. By the way, of course, I understand that millions of people are going to work. I mean, I I do know that. But, but we have been effectively demobilised as a public, and I do think that's not helped the political class to know how to relate to people. They're just not. They're not even seeing people. They're kind of getting letters, but there's no sort of like they can't just wander through the town and have a chat with people because that's not what you're allowed to do. And there's no one in the town, so that's one thing. That the 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 thing that's Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, there's also the potential question of cowardice, by the way, which is in the middle of it all. I mean, if if you're going to say it's going to be hard. I mean, I, 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 like you, have been incredibly concerned about this slightly new, although not that new. But but a recent turn in media circles, which is to try and get seen people sacked, your colleagues sacked. A lot of the sackings have actually come from within. That's what happened in the New York Times. But I've watched it happen on social media here of people calling upon the Times journalists to try and, uh, uh, you know, get the editors of the the editor of the Times to sack. Uh, you know, Melanie Phillips. I'm be- I'm frightened to say it in case it ex- makes it worse. But you know what I mean? Um, actually, it appears that there was an element of that in the LBC decision in relation to Nigel Farage. Certainly, there's been this, you know, we as staff at LBC have had to put up with this for far too long. We didn't ever want him in. It's like a kind of, I mean, first of all, it doesn't indicate much in the way of solidarity. I don't care whether you like someone or not, especially on a talk radio program where people are often employed because they've got controversial views I mean and to have a diversity of views but there's something of that McCarthyite atmosphere that is frightening and you can see that people are nervous I mean I'll be honest I am nervous about being on this you know this will be clipped this can go out it's not straightforward who is going to be cancelled next or what for it's not you know it's no longer sufficient to say but i but i'm but i'm an anti racist i mean that's not going to wash right mm-hmm. i'm a white woman and um, and i can be cast in the shadow a uh, uh, far right and so on i just just sorry just one, one small thing one of the things i'm worried about is the demonization of all sides and one of the most galling things that i've found from the government is they've on the one hand absented themselves and and not just involve themselves in a proper discussion about cultural icons and you know i mean i don't i don't think that necessarily i want every statue to be there forever and i would never imagine a statue ever going but you know that's a debate it's a discussion you could have that discussion and that's the kind of thing that you can do they haven't done that uh but what what when they're trying to look like they're asserting authority they then have become quite authoritarian so they say you know, there's going to be summary justice. Everyone's going to be in prison after 24 hours, right? Which is a bit nerve wracking, you know. Or we're we going to, help that's the protesters. They, the, you know, the police stand by and let people, uh, you know, jump all over the statue and bash it and drag it through streets and throw it in the river and this kind of absolute frenzy, kind of watch on. And then say, so we're proud of the day's work we did in Bristol. Mm-hmm. But then the next minute you've got, um, Pretty Patel saying we're going to round up the perpetrators and they're going to be shown no mercy. And my concern here is that you end up demonising young protesters, mm. often young black protesters, as they're all part of some thug gang over there. And what I, you know, and and the conversely, as we know, Sadik Khan, anyone who comes to London to want to protect a statue is inevitably only coming because they're a fascist supporter of Tommy Robinson the misuse of the term fascism but you know everyone's kind of and actually lots of people seem to want to come to London um on Saturday because they want to show that they don't want that there's a there's a vacuum at the heart of it all and I'm worried about both sides being demonized and mm. somebody like Tommy Robinson god I wish I'd said his name so often but he's actually again been overflattered as the catalyst Of people coming to London tomorrow. He is not the catalyst, he's an opportunistic, you know, person who doesn't give a damn, as far as I can see, who's jumped on this, but can take credit because nobody else will take a lead. And that does frighten me because it does then pit uh, people against each other in a very extreme and polarized fashion that's unhelpful.
3: And the silence of Boris Johnson and of the government and of the the the, the cowardice which is really emanating itself through through our media too uh, really basically place into the hands of 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 the Black Lives Matter coordinators and Antifa, who are basically engaging in old tactics of ha- using the mob to test how far they can push this. And with and when you're seeing when you're seeing you no know, defence made by, by Boris Johnson, who really should be the person of the hour. He wants to put himself as a, as a Churchillian patriotic figure, and yet nowhere are we seeing any great celebration of the fact that it was Britain that ended the slave trade. For example, that it was the Royal Navy that enforced. The end to slavery, including having the right to occupy and seize American ships, for example, and you know, indeed, de- defending the right that you know, if, if, or to use Harold Macmillan, you've never had it so good if you're black. There's nowhere in the world you really want to be apart from being somewhere like Britain, and nowhere are you seeing this great defence and promotion of basically of, of what Britain has managed to achieve in this country.
0: I want to sort of uh, just just go on a bit actually with with this situation, you know, which seems to be sort of spreading out you know, where in fact do you think it could go? Where are we actually going to go from here, you know? I mean, to take one example, how I've been viewing it, Baden-Powell, you know, is sort of under, kind of under attack, we're not quite sure whether his statue is gonna go or not, it seems to be a bit confusing. But isn't it, to use the logic of this movement, wouldn't it be, oh well, actually you could see, oh well actually the scouting movement itself, was born in a time of imperialism, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, pretty much, why do we have scouts now? You know, we're in a sort of, uh, you know, maybe we're in a kind of revisionist period. This is where I see it sort of going. And it goes on to books. Where do you actually, where do you see it going, Emma?
1: Well, so I think that um, this goes back to what we were saying about the, also about TV programmes and, and people being sort of witch hunted by their own colleagues that what we're doing with historical figures is what has been described as a fence archaeology, trying to find problematic things yeah. in particular historical figures. And you know, history is messy. No person is either good or completely definitively evil. Um, people have done bad things, they've done good things as well. You can criticize Nelson, but you know, he still was uh, a naval genius. Uh, you can criticise Barbara Powell for his his opinions about certain things, but the Scout movement is certainly a good thing that should be celebrated. And we shouldn't deny the fact that he was involved in its founding. And I think the problem is that once you start doing this, there actually isn't an end point. What do you do? Are you going to pull down the pyramids and demolish the whole of Greenwich? Are we going to demolish, demolish entire cities that were built off of um, off of the money that came from um, slavery. One example, um, good example of this, I think, is um, Thomas Guy. They've, they're taking his statue down. In fact, they've boarded it up today um, outside of Guy's Hospital. Right? Yes. Yeah, so, are they going to rename the hospital? Are they going to tear down the hospital? That's a re- revisionism and an erasure of history. And if, if you just to speak about Thomas Guy specifically, he invested in the South Sea Company that was involved in the in the traffic trafficking of slaves. Um, But he was an investor in all sorts of different companies. He was a bookseller, um, and he made an awful lot of money. But then if you look at any wealthy figure from that period of time, slavery was part of the economy, so it's going to be very difficult to detach anybody that built anything from the 16th century to the, to the 18th century who wasn't involved in something that today we would call problematic. We can't just erase the 16th to 18th century of British history because there are some things that certain people did that we don't like. And now we see them attacking people like Robert Bruce, we see them attacking... Um, statues of Queen Victoria Um, and all of these people have very complicated um, histories and I think what's very concerning is that you have people like um, the deputy uh, mayor who is the co-chair of this commission that Sadiq Khan has set up celebrating um, Milligan's statue being taken down from outside of the Docklands Museum so she's the co-chair of this commission and she's celebrating the fact that it was removed with what looks like very little due process or debate, even though some people may have objected to it. He was outside of a museum. Um, he could have been easily contextualised before information. So I think what we actually need is more history in the public space, not less. What we're doing by removing statues is just removing our sense of historical perspective or our ability to meet our history in the streets, which I think is something very fundamental that no generation, individual commission politician has the right to remove those things from our memory and our physical space. And I think that's something that's very, very worrying. And I actually think that a lack of historical perspective is what has resulted in this in the first place, because people aren't properly educated about complexity of history. And people have this idea that people are either diabolical or saintly. And speaking of saints, actually, um, St. Boniface's statue was defaced in Greenwich with anti-Christian graffiti. Um, They're actually defacing saints, it seems now. I don't know whether or not that was related, but there's some suggestion that it was to do with anarchists. So I think that, that that searching for things that are problematic in historical figures will literally lead to the destruction, of, potential destruction of absolutely anything and en- everything that people find a little bit distasteful.
3: And one has to w- ask what value is there in, in destroying and pulling down such statues in terms of black lives? How many black lives are actually going to be saved through this process? Um, certainly if black lives matter, why are there no howls of protest over the number of black on black killings in South London? Where are the great marches and protests there? You know, in America in the last 40 years, over 90% of black African Americans who've died have died at the hands of other African Americans. Now, it's fine to protest on this issue if, if there's some consistency and if black lives do matter, why is there no similar a howl of outrage at that, at, that, at that decimation of the black population or indeed modern slavery I mean this yeah. is another issue that no one seems to address is the fact that there are 12 to 15 million Africans in, uh, who were transported to America in the slave trade and yet there are approximately 40 million slaves alive today in the world and uh, seven in every thousand Africans are believed to be in slavery currently so where are the great protests outside the Nigerian embassy or the embassy of, of Congo mm-hmm. nowhere are they to be seen you have Sadiq Khan declaring last year that he was in favour of a slavery museum in Britain and that Britain had to live up to it, had to stand up and recognise its role in the slave trade. And yet, you know, he would have repetitive strain injury from saying that he was the son of a Pakistani bus driver. And yet, even when he made an official visit to Pakistan, not once has he ever actually called Pakistan out for being one of the worst countries in the world for modern day slavery, where there are over three million people living in slavery in modern day Pakistan. And surely it's the lives of people today that count for a lot more they can actually be freed, and the yoke can be removed from them rather than revisiting questionable people from the past, most of whom no one 's ever heard of you know, I'm a historian I don 't really know much about Coulson at all, you know most people don't, and yet they're being whipped up by, the, by by this organization, and so one has to question the motives of an organization called Black Lives Matter when they seem to be more interested in stone than actual lives
2: mm. claire, what, where do you see it going yeah so um. Not positively, but there's so much to untangle. But um I think that point about what about today's contemporary issues is right. I, I think one of the issues here is that Black Lives Matters is a bit of a a kind of free-floating amorphous hashtag rather than it that's why I was trying to say don't overthink it's an ideology. It's not quite as simple as that. And actually if you actually ask activists, you know, what is it directly that you want? You know, it'll be things like you have to have a black square on your Instagram. You know, it's like, what's that got to do with then? You know what I mean? You've got to, you know, you as a, uh, you know, what, white people have got to admit their complicity. Uh, you know, it's not always concrete. I mean, in America, there's kind of demands to defund the police, but nobody seems to even understand what that means. In the UK's terms, because it's not clear what, you know, there it, it's kind of, what is it you're demanding, right? And, and for me, I was horrified by the, scandal around Windrush, and I'd, actually there was one Black Lives Matters demonstration during the week, which actually was a Windrush demo, which was perfectly logistic to me. I mean, it seems to me the British state made an absolute disastrous error at the expense of British citizens who didn't do the filing of their paperwork okay, and then were treated like, you know, at the worst possible way. I That would make me go out on a demo, right? That's infuriatingly terrible. But that's not actually the focus. It's the statues, you know, or it's these kind of. So in in other words, what's interesting to me is that Black Lives Matter doesn't appear to have a a sense of what it stands for or what it wants positively, as it were. What what do you want? And the museum's question is fascinating, you know, because I think Aaron Jones has got an article in The Guardian. He says this is a massive history lesson for the for the, the, the nation. We can all learn something. And you think, well, why don't you write a book? Or why doesn't really read a book? You know what I mean? You don't have to go around taking down statutes in order to have a sense of history. But um, if you, uh, when people say, well, we should contextualise them and put them into museums, it means they haven't been paying attention to what's happening in museums. Because museums are now run by people who hate historical artefacts, and they're spending the whole time sending them back, hiding them, putting up plaques. I mean, you know, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't last any longer in a museum than you would on a plinth at the moment. So it's almost, that's why I'm saying it's a kind of cultural uh, crisis. I'm not a great fan of um, uh, British exceptionalism. You know, Britain led the way on fighting injustice. I mean, Britain was an imperialist colonial power with blood all over its hands. But I'm not, but, you know, that was the past. And you have to, if you're involved in politics, believe that things can improve right i happen to think that things have improved from attitudes on race from the 19th century actually they've improved in my lifetime in terms of attitudes on race since the 1970s 1980s where actually people were you know not just people but the police actually were much more explicitly uh, openly uh, racially harassed young black people in in, in areas where i lived and um, the reason i'm saying that is because I absolutely agree that history is complicated. So what we don't want to do is emulate the worst aspects of something like the Black Lives Matter or the the race theorist simplifying of history, that he is a slave owner, he is bad, by having a, we are Britain, we are great. You know, that doesn't make, I mean, it's it's like the people who sort of say, what about the Engels statue in Manchester then? He's got, he's a bad person, he's a communist, pull that down. It's like, we don't want anyone pulling anything down. Yeah. We don't want to have a competition between oversimplifying narratives on history or which people should be uh, dumped in the river. Where will it end? Funnily enough, I, this is just where you just know it's got nothing to do with history. Um, first of all, a school has renamed uh, a, a Rowling House uh, because J.K. Rowling, as in, so this is now suddenly not Black Lives Matters. It's to do with the trans wars and the turf wars, as they're called. And a school has renamed a house because they can't have a house called J.K. Rowling. I mentioned that. Because we got, I got sent a, a couple of emails from different schools in London who are, as we speak, asking the sixth form to rename their houses. Around, you know, Drake House is going to go wherever that is. You know, asking students saying we feel uncomfortable with the names of the houses. Now, by the time we've had that debate, what this has just happened is that every institution will rename everything, and it will become completely meaningless. And lose any sense of, you, nobody will remember why we're renaming them. And there'll be lots of rows over whether that's an appropriate name. And every time you name somebody, something, somebody will find out something bad about the person you renamed them all after. And then we'll have to rename it again. So this can run and run and run. But let that run and run and run. Much more important is how we get debate about the superficiality of this right at the center of politics and don't allow anyone to tell us it's just a trivial, silly, campus, ch- childish game, which is what people have been telling us when we've tried to warn this was happening. People have just said to me, oh, it's students being students, what's your problem? Well, this is my problem.
0: I think, I, think, I mean, I, where I would have to disagree with you on that point when you say we shouldn't sort of like start taking caricature positions. I, I find it, I don't really think people are seriously kind of going out, you know, Britain is the, the absolute best, and all I, if anything, I think the whole, you know, narrative of the way British history has been treated over the past 40, 50 years is to actually be very, um, de- you know, self-loathing, actually, um, and, you know, basically quite derogatory. I mean, I, I don't really see that there's been a huge jingoism.
2: Um,
3: and that's where, th- and that's where for-
2: I, just people, I just mean people on our side, Peter, I mean, people who I, I know are worried about this, Can try and bend the stick too far. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. And where this will end, I mean, we'll get back again to the march through the institutions because, you know, I live near the American embassy, so I've seen each one of those marches pass by my balcony and comparing it to the civil rights movement in America in the 60s, the key difference is the age of the participants but the age of those participating today is really under, under 35. And of course you have to wonder, who is educating the next generation of museum curators, the next generation of people in the, in, 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 the, in the police force and in government and in academia? It is people on the left who have these agendas to put forward. And that's why I don't think we're going to see an end to this coming anytime soon. You know, you look at people like Neil Ferguson, one of the great historians of our time, unable to get a tenured position in a British university because of having very balanced views on empire. But there needs to be at this time more than any other someone to stand up you know, and I take Claire's point that no country is free from sin at all of course not but it was the case that Britain was the country that led the world in abolishing slavery it was the Royal Navy that enforced that, that, that policy, and in, including the right to, to seize foreign ships if they had slaves on them. It was the case that it was Africans who enslaved other Africans. White people never actually made any incursions into the continent of Africa. They were moored off the coast and took prisoners of war. And There were, there were as many slaves held by other Africans as there were being transported across. You know, the Islam was engaged in the slave trade for centuries. That only ended officially in 1900 and continued, continued long after that. Where are the people raising those points? And if you put it into that context, then actually Britain and Europe come out very, very well, in my view.
0: I think what we could end up—we were talking about where it could go. I don't mean to be flippant here, but you know, obviously there are statues round and about of Wilberforce. Um, perhaps he will be uh, cancelled as being a, a, a white saviour. You know, um, this is the, this is one of the narratives now. You know that we don't need this because this is. This is now a a woke thing, isn't it, uh, of white savior? Um, Just to round off, therefore, you wanted to say something, Emma, there? Uh,
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say that I think, um, actually, on that point, that um, in the US they actually did, and and part of this I think is to do with historical illiteracy. So they tried to, there've there've been some disputes about the statues of Robert Peel that some people want removing, because Mm -hmm. actually they're confusing Robert Peel with his father who was anti-abolition. And in the US they actually did deface a statue of an abolitionist. And I think that it's a really important point going back to what Claire said about the naming of, of schools' houses that you'll have it named something for one week and then someone will find something wrong with that person and then it will just go on and on and on and on. And it's because it's like the, the famous saying that um, like Saturn, revolution devours its own children. Um, and I think that's what we're going to end up with. It was very metaphorical that, um, you know, the French in the French Revolution, they began by decapitating statues and ended up by decapitating each other between the revolutionaries, mm-hmm. with Robespierre ending up. Um, ending up being um, bought by it and I think it's quite metaphorical that if you saw the um, the statue that fell on um, a protester in the U.S. when they were trying to pull down one of the statues and actually fell and very badly injured one of the um, protesters and it, and it just leaves you thinking who is going to be the the wokes Pierre um, who is going to be the you know the, 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 the person who ends up sort of the Almost like um, we, we had with um, with uh, certain people who have spoken out about Islamophobia, then ending up being attacked for Islamophobia. Who is the most woke person that you can think of right now that eventually is going to be the person who gets it?
3: Exactly. I mean, we've seen that in the trans debate, of course, haven't you? We've had people like Jermaine Greer and even you know Peter Tatchell and others, in terms of is- Islam and so forth, now being basically cannibalised by by their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, you know that there is going to be no end to this. But of course, rather than you know. Historical and cultural relativism is never a good idea. Rather than tear down statues, why not actually propose new statues? Propose new heroes, because we're always going to be re-evaluating and rejudging. And how good, how better than to actually compare and contrast people from today and the, and, and from the past?
0: I think that's a very good, very good yeah. point, Rave, Thank you. Um, look, have to end can it I there. Just... Sorry, Claire. Yes, please.
2: Just my Because what I was going to say was, I was. Um, you know, I didn't agree with the whole summation that, that you made earlier about slavery, right, and the whole historical account of slavery and who ended it. But what a rich conversation we could have about that. You know, that is fine, you know, that, that history is always contested. And in a way, those nuances, uh, to go back to what you said, Amy, you know, the, this is a nuance, this is interesting, this should be what we're having discussions about. Now, were I to imagine that in schools, the renaming of houses. I mean, when I went to school, we never had houses, so I don't even know, but the renaming of whatever they all are, right, um, that that would lead to a, an open, rich, you know, challenging, lively series of debates about historical figures, then I wouldn't object. But we all know that's not what's true. You know, because as soon as you try and raise a question about whether what happens in Bristol was correct, you're accused of being an, you know, an apologist for slavery. Like, don't be ridiculous. I mean, it's a low bar, isn't it? You know, am I a good, virtuous person in 2020 because I condemn slavery and the slave trade? Well, God, you don't have to make very many moral moves to get there. But you can obviously feel very virtuous by saying, but that what it means is we never have a decent discussion. And I still go back to the fact that, you know, that it wasn't just about George Floyd, but who has remembered him in this? You know, that guy. That we watched on film that did spark genuine outrage, even if 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 you know it's been overly confected in a period of time and kind of gone off into different things. But honestly, I think it's forgotten. It gets forgotten. And so what is most exasperating for me is that these cultural this cultural regression actually uses the suffering of contemporary victims of racism or police barbarism or whatever it is, and adopts it and, 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 and makes it their own. And then the next minute we know, and this is something that I would say as a lefty, because it's been said about the left, that uh, every capitalist corporation has been at the forefront of adopting Black Lives Matter's insignia, you know, going around policing the behaviour of their employees, making donations, I mean, absolutely hopeless uh, and dangerous when your bosses are shouting at you if you don't put a black square around your Instagram post, which I know has happened uh, in some corporations. That is going on as we speak. So it just seems to me that poor old George Floyd has been used by a whole range of different organisations and individuals for their own ends, and it's got nothing to do with fighting racism.
3: Absolutely, and I fear that those brands who are doing that are falling into the same trap that you know, media and everyone else fell for in terms of Brexit as well, in terms of misreading what they think is the mood of the land and going with the, with the voice of the vocal minority rather than as, you know, GK Chesterton, for we are the people of England who have not spoken yet. And I fear that the, the bubbles in London and Edinburgh and elsewhere are actually setting the agenda here when the public are, as a whole are aghast of what they're seeing. Well,
0: thank you once again. And uh, thank you, Claire. Fox. Thank you, Emma. Webb. Thank you, Rafe. And uh, that's it for Counterculture this week, and we will look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.